We're going to be continuing to pick right back up where we left off last week in 1 Peter. Uh, we'll be doing chapter 2, verses 1 through 10 on spiritual unity. We will see why that's important for you and I today as we study the word. But let us open in prayer. Father, again, we thank you. We know we can, as we open up your word, it is so paired up so beautifully with your spirit as your spirit uses your word to speak to our hearts. And we know only by the power of the Spirit moving and revealing and, and, uh, and, and revelation of your word to us, illuminating your word to us. Lord, we just ask you just to speak to each individual heart today so that they come, whatever they've been praying about, praying for, searching after. Maybe they don't even know what they're looking for. Maybe they're confused and there's down there's a spiritual warfare and they're just absolutely ravaged. Lord, maybe it be a place of healing by your word. May it be a place of comfort, be a place of, of encouragement and strength that we can only get from you. And so we come and we sit at your feet now. We have ears to hear, hearts to soften, to, to receive what your spirit has for us this day. In Jesus' name, amen. In 1 Peter chapter 2, we notice we left off last week in chapter 1 at the end there, verses 22 through 25. And in those verses, Peter was speaking to these believers, saying we were learned what it means to, that the, the, what the expectations of our Lord is that we would live holy lives. A holiness should be being developed in and through your lives as you draw closer to God, as you seek after Him, as you draw close, as you seek after Him, He, you know, He comes closer and closer in a deeper relationship with us. And then we learn that holy living demands purification in one's life. You don't just give life to your your life over to Jesus and say, "I'll continue to live this wicked life and and think this wicked way and and to go around and do the wicked things we used to do." No, no. We know there's a purification that needs to take place in our lives because we cannot have that in our life anymore. We're a child of God. We have been born again. There's a new life that it needs to develop and grow in our life, and we need to take it all. All measures we must get rid, as we see in the scripture, stay away from all forms of evilness. That doesn't get, you don't get to pick which one. No, all forms of evilness. Why? Because that will hinder our growth and our relationship with God. And we know the wonderful and the positive results of obeying the truth of God. The word of God is a purified life. We saw that in verse 2 of chapter 1. We also know, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. We see that in the, by the psalmist, Psalm 119, verse 9. As trials refine one's faith, we've seen. We also know that obedience to God's word refines our character. So as we change and our character is changed to in line with a godly character, it's through obedience to the truth of God. There is no other way. You can try it all you want. Go ahead. Work your flesh as much as you can. Try, 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 try. I'm going to hard, hard, hard. I'm going to do it again. I'm going to do it again. No, no. Allow God to work in and through. Just be obedient to the word of God and your character will change. You're no longer going to be defined by the characteristics of your past. 
People may want to hold on to that, but not in your mind anymore because you're not that person anymore because you've been changed. And as you live this life of obedience, we know that we're going to be refined through the trials and tribulations that is allowed to come into our life because it will test our faith. How much do you really trust Jesus for your life? Do you really trust in God in these situations? And those are always tested for us so that we will grow. You will discover the joy of obedience to the word of God when you start seeing and watching and purified life according to his word. The things that you won't even notice it, but people around you will notice a change in your life. And it will encourage you to continue to be obedient to the word of God. Now, Peter, again, reminded his readers here in the beginning of his epistle that they had experienced this new birth. You've been born again. You've been born again, as we read earlier on. And it's this supernatural event that takes place in one's life at the moment they decide to open up their life to him and accept him as their Lord and Savior. There's a supernatural thing that takes place. And as they obey the truth, this purifying effect in their lives will take place. And the love of brethren, their brothers and sisters in the Lord, there's a love that will be developed that is beyond you've ever done before we saw that in the chapter one and this is this change in their lives would not die away this is not something temporary because God is doing this work in your life why because because it took place through God's word which is imperishable that we learned last week it's imperishable it's our living eternal inheritance that we now have as a child of God And then Peter closed out chapter 1 of his epistle by saying we should love one another fervently, with passion, with commitment to love one another. Because we're members of the same heavenly family. We're the same family. We're going to be worshiping God for eternity together, working side by side, doing what God's called us to do now and into eternity. So the expectation as a child of God is to love one another. And if we all are in the word together, the result will be spiritual unity. As we study the word of God, we are knitted together spiritual unity. When there is disunity, it's because one or the other or both are not in the word of God. You can always tell. You can always know where someone stands, where they are, if they're in the word or not. I don't have to ask. I can see by the words that come out of your mouth, your actions, your responses. Is there a love of Christ flowing from your life or not? And we can see that. So here in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse, let's start with 1 verses 1 through 3. We are going to see these different truths that we have to understand that Peter wants to get across to us into keeping this spiritual unity. He says, therefore, based on chapter 1, therefore, laying aside all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all evil speaking, As newborn babes desire the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. 
Oh, these are powerful three verses right here. How important it is as a brand new believer or someone who's been walking with the Lord for 30, 40 years or more. Peter has just demonstrated in chapter 1, the first part of his epistle, his letter here, he's demonstrated the glory and the eternal character of God's words. He lined it out for us. Now, therefore, in light of that truth of God's word in us, we receive the word with a particular heart. How are we to receive that? He says, therefore, you have to have a heart that says, I am ready to lay aside any of this evil stuff that was in my life at one point. Even as believers, these things can creep into your life. You and I have to be on guard at all times. We cannot allow malice or deceit or hypocrisy or envy or any evil speaking to happen among your brothers and sisters in the heavenly family. It cannot happen. It's got to change. You need to understand what the Word of God says. That cannot happen. And at all costs, you need to get it out of your life. And you need to ask the power of the Holy Spirit to work in your life. That means you need to be in the Word of God so you can understand the truth to transform your mind so you think differently. But he says, not only are you to get those out, but you need to be like newborn babes. That's the kind of heart you need to have because you have to understand we are all children of the same family. And because we're children of the same family, God's family, we have to understand we must be like newborn babes, a heart that says, I desire the milk of the word. You've been around babies, haven't you? Oh, I love my grandbabies. Oh, they're kid. My little Sophia, she's a sweet little, just a darling. She could be like, oh, oh laughing, the eyes are bright, and just, just happy can be. She's like, oh, this is a perfect little baby. And she is, from a grandfather's perspective. But I mean, when that flesh turns on and says, it's time to eat, it's like flipping a switch, and she's like, the the, the, you know, she gets a whole other level of screaming because she desires the milk. Ponder on that for a bit. Is that your heart when it comes to the Word of God? Do you only drink the milk? Does a baby only drink the milk one time a day? One time a week? One time a month. Three times a year. Every day. Consistently. A little here. A little there. That's the heart we're supposed to have as a child of God. Like newborn babes who just desires the truths of God. And a little here a little there, and don't get in my way when I want to spend time with reading the Word of God. Please, keep the distractions away, everything that's focused around what? And you let everyone know about it, don't you? (laughs) It always seems when you're ready to read the Word of God that something, someone, some phone call, some text, something always seems. But we must have like a newborn babe, a desire for the pure milk of water. We didn't say the fake milk. No powdered milk here. We're talking 
The pure milk of the word. We want to know the word of God. Don't give me someone else's digested stuff from versus the word of God. I want the pure milk of the word of God. So don't say, oh, I am. I've read this book and this guy's book and this guy's book and that guy. No, 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 no. You don't get it. I'm talking the word of God, the simple, pure word of God, simply provided to you by God himself. That you have to understand. We want, Peter says, you must be like newborn babes, desiring the pure milk of the word that you may grow thereby. How are you going to grow spiritually? How are you going to grow in your knowledge and understanding of who God is? How are you going to grow in understanding what God's desires are to work in through your life and to have a purpose and plan and what he has planned for your life? The most simplest and basics of things to more complex only by being in the word of God as he speaks to you and directs you. So knowing that, why would you avoid reading the word of God? Only one reason. Spiritual warfare. The world and the enemy, your flesh, all three war against you. And we must fight. So keep showing up regardless how you feel and get in the word of God. Every day, throughout the day, wherever you are. Put it on your heart so much that you don't even have to have the Bible with you. As you're just walking, you could be taking your jog. You could be doing whatever you're doing, out in the garden and doing whatever you're doing. But you're meditating on the Word of God because you've put it in your heart. You've memorized it. Now, if you're not there, that just means you're going to continue to grow. And how do you do that? By desiring the pure milk of the Word that you may grow thereby. It's eventually, it will go there. You'll grow and to mature to that point. Don't, this don't feel this is not condemnation at all. It's just just know that you're still growing, and we must grow. The word here, desire, is a very strong desire in the Septuagint. It's the Septuagint is the ancient Greek. Um, Translation of the Old Testament. But this word is used for man's deepest longing for God. It's like what the psalmist says in 42.1. As the deer pants for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. That's the desire that he's talking about here. That you, 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 just, you can't even explain how much you need to hear and to read and to meditate on the word of God. It's so refreshing to you, like a brook of water. It speaks of the desire each believer should have for the word of God. The failure to either desire or to receive this pure milk of the word is the reason for so many problems in both individual Christian lives, but also in, within congregations. A congregation that doesn't study the word of God is in trouble. It's not healthy. Why? It's not because I say that. It's because the word of God says that. Anytime you take the word of God out or modify it or change it and add it or delete from it, you're in trouble. A congregation's in trouble. See, 
The word of God is necessary for growth of a Christian. And Paul, even in Corinthians, if you remember in Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, he actually rebuked them and said, you've been walking and you've understood all these truths. You've gotten the milk. You understand. Now you need to grow. You need to start going deeper. So it's not like you can just sit there and get the milk only at a time. At some point, a baby grows up and has to mature and take on substance. And that's why we study the whole word of God. Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. Because you need to grow and even chew on the meat eventually. You need to grow. His, Paul says, he says that you have to just not only receive milk, but a Christian should never tire of the simple truths of the gospel simply presented. Because Peter knows, Paul knows, we all know we need to grow and mature as spiritual Christians. Why? Because if you don't, one of the things that will hinder us is these things that he, uh, these five sins that he kind of outlines to the people there. He says you have to lay aside these things because you could be in the Word all time. It, it, what's going to eventually, you're going to stop reading the Word because of those sins in your life. I think if I say this correctly, it's an old saying by many that sins will keep you from this book but this book will keep you from these sins. As we study the word of God and you grow and are purified and you're changed from within, you, these sins that used to plague you or you pondered on or even contemplated or still do, they will fade away. They're no longer of value to you because Jesus is much more valuable to you. We will see that a little bit more here. But he says here, it starts with, therefore, repent. All of these things. This is what God has done in your life. This is how he's, he's, he has saved you. He's given you eternal life. He's given you the way, the truth, and the life. We're saying that. He's given it all to you for you as a free gift of salvation for you to accept. Do you accept it? You accepted it. Now repent and change. Can't stay the same. He's describing the heart, an attitude of heart that, that you need to receive the word and grow by the word and humble and be honest in those hearts, willing to do what the word of God says. And that word of God says to get rid of these things. And when you realize and when you understand as a child of God that the word has life, the word gives life. The word nourishes one's life. You'll never stop chewing on it. Partaking of it. Because it's your life. What gives you an understanding of who you are. And who God is. We should have appetites of the word like a hungry newborn baby's in a degree to that which sinful attributes are in your life, are existing in your life, and some degree will cause your hunger to diminish. <laughs> it came to my mind last night. I was like, sometimes I go to work and someone will invite me to go get Panda Express at the PX. Oh, I love Panda Express, I have to tell you. 
Orange chicken is the only thing to go for, just so, just to let you know. But sometimes their meetings and their time to eat is always sometimes later than I would prefer. And so I fill up on my orange chicken at 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon in a meeting eating Panda Express. Then I come home and my wife has made dinner and I'm like, my hunger is not there because I've already been filled with something else. Sometimes the donuts can get, out of the, get in the way. I mean, you can go down your list. But you, my point is this. If you allow things that have cotton candy or something of not of nutritional value in your life because you're reading everything other than the Word of God, you're only reading about the Word of God. You're not reading the Word of God. Or even worse, you're taking in worldly things and you're reading all kinds of worldly things. Where will your hunger be for just the pure milk of the Word of God? You won't have the hunger. Peter's saying, you allow malice in any form or fashion or degree in your life, you're not going to hunger for the word. You let any deceit continue to play in your life, in the Christian realm, among your brothers and sisters, it's only a matter of time. You're not going to hunger for the word of God. Any envy? Any evil speaking against someone else in the, word, in the congregation, your hunger for the word of God will decrease. Why do you, then you start drying up. You start getting very agitated because you know that your spirit hasn't been fed and it gets very agitated. You're grieving the spirit because Peter says you need to get all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, all this pretending that you do. Oh, praise the Lord, isn't this a great day? And then that you, before and after that is like it's a war in the car. War at the house. You're slandering your brother or your sister prior to coming. I hope she's not there today. Not here. I know this is not. I'm talking about what Peter's talking about in this congregation. Not this, not this congregation, but in that congregation, that was happening. He says, that can't happen any longer. Get it out. You need to get in the word of God. You need to grow. Why? Because in verse 3, indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. He has forgiven you. He has shown you grace. How can you not show grace to another? Hello? You've tasted what is good that the Lord is willing to give to you. And he's forgiven you. He's changing you. He's giving you life, eternal life. You're now a part of his family. We must love our brethren. We must. It's not a question of maybe eventually. A, no, no. We must be diligent to change our hearts and get rid of anything or everything that would cause us not to love our brothers and sisters. It's sad. It's very sad when Christians have no appetite for God's word. And do you know what happens in Christian circles when you have no appetite for God's word? Then that 
religious organization then has to figure out a way to feed religious entertainment to one to keep them coming. When you're sitting there and you're saying, looking for religious entertainment to entertain you on a Sunday, that means you're not growing. You're not mature in your faith. You must come for the desire to hear the word of God to speak to your heart directly. That is why we come. To glorify him and to learn and to grow in our relation with him. It's interesting. Rather in obedience to the word, believers are to make very decisive decisions to break away from their past of malice and past of deceit and hypocrisy and envy and evil speaking because none of these have any place in those who are born again. If you're born again, none of that should be in your life. Now, I'm not saying if you just gave your life to today, it's automatically gone. I'm just saying you, as you grow and mature, that, is, should be, that should not be. And I'm not saying five years later, I'm still growing. I'm a baby Christian at five years. No, 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 I'm not talking about that either. It takes you the first, you've heard me all the time say the roller coaster, when you first get saved, that first six months to a year is a roller coaster, a fighting between the old life and the new life. But just keep showing up regardless of how you feel. Keep in the word of God, keep in the fellowship, and all of a sudden you're going to grow and mature, and these things that may have been in your life will just fade away. In verse 4, we see not only are we children in the same heavenly family but we see here in verses four and five we're also and even into all the way to eight we're we're stones as well that's part of of the same building now look at what happens here peter says come coming to him as to a living stone rejected indeed by men but chosen by god and precious notice those words Verse 5, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We'll stop right there for a minute, because there's just so much right there. But the, one of the things you have to start, first of all, when you're thinking and reading through here, that Peter here is picturing that God is building a spiritual temple, a spiritual house, as Peter refers to it, using living stones. Who are the living stones? You and I, Christians. That's who he's using. He's using you and I as living stones. So that those who can, have come to the ultimate living stone is who? Jesus Christ, who is the cornerstone, who starts the building. It has to have a cornerstone to build from that. You don't build a building without setting the cornerstone. So he gives this word picture, this information. We have to understand that there is only one Savior, Jesus Christ. There's not more than one Savior. There's not more than one way to go to heaven, to be saved. There's only one way, and that is that is Jesus Christ, period. Regardless of how you feel, if you feel something and think something different, you've been bewitched, as the scripture says. You need to keep showing up and learn from the word of God because you have been taught wrongly. But Jesus Christ is the only, the Son of God, 
God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, is the only Savior and only one spiritual building, and that is the church. And the church is not just Calvary Chapel North Country. We're just one tiny little thing compared to the rest of the world of believers. God's church. It's not my church. It's God's church. I'm just doing what God's called me to do, just like he calls you to do and serve him in different capacities and ways. But he says here, the spiritual house shows that as much as Israel had a temple, you and I also have a temple. Christians also have one because Christians' temple is spiritual and they themselves become the temple of God. God comes inside you when you're born again. He doesn't go into the Holy of Holies and his, and his, his presence over the, in, the, in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle, and over the Holy of Holies. He, that's not him. He comes and dwells within you as a believer. Jesus is first called the living stone, and then we are called the living stones. We live because we're connected with the source of life, and that is in Jesus Christ. Now think about this. Peter is writing to believers in five different providences spread out Asian Minor. Five. And he refers to them as what? One church. He refers to them as one spiritual house. Located in multiple places. And there is a spiritual unity of God's people that transcends all the local and individual assemblies and fellowships. There's a transcendence over that of spiritual unity, and we belong to each other because we belong to Christ. I can, I've shared this message many times. An example, I remember being in California and walking to go into the hospital, and I just knew that person walking to me, the Lord says, that is a brother in Christ. You, Stop him. He's a brother in Christ. You need to say hi and get, say good morning to him. You need to encourage him. And I was like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm rushing. You know, I've got a 12-hour shift. You know, no, Lord's like, no, you need to say hi. This is your brother. Sure enough, thank you, thank you, Jesus. I just said, hey, are you a brother in Christ? And he looked and goes, yes. I said, Lord, you showed that to me as you were coming here. He says, oh, how are you? We embraced and we're like, oh, we're having this moment of this brotherly moment. Didn't even know. I can't even remember his name, which is terrible. I, it was just a moment. I said, the Lord just told me to encourage you that he loves you, and you have a wonderful day in the Lord, and it's just so good to meet you, brother. I'll see you in heaven. That kind of conversation, but that's what it is. You just know because the spirit of Christ that lives in you, it lives in them, you have the same spirit, and you could just know the connection. How many times, we had just a brother who hasn't been here for... I don't remember. Michael's been gone probably four or five years at least. One of the first people started in the, when we, the church. But he walked in. It's like he never left. Like that, we, we just picked right up. Like it was never a break of time and anything. We're just complete spiritual unity as brothers in Christ. And that happens to you. I know you do. I know you sense it. When you're around your sisters, around your brothers. That's why we do not forsake the fellowship of brothers and sisters. This whole trend of you don't need to go to church and you can do your own thing. It is from the pit of hell from my perspective. Because God says to not to forsake the fellowship. I understand. I love my brothers and sisters who are watching online. We have people from all around the world. That it's amazing. It's shocking. That they would 
God pointed them here. And they can't be here physically. But I encourage all of them, if they don't live here locally, find a Bible-believing church that teaches the Word of God. And as some have called and sent emails, said, we don't have any. That's why we are watching. And we're thankful for technology. Trust me, I was the last one to want to do technology. COVID forced me to go technology and go online. You know that. But many people have been blessed by that because they haven't been able to come. But we see here, not only are you a living stone that God is using to build his spiritual house, but we also see that you're a holy priesthood. Now, this is very important for some of you, especially ex-Catholics and above, that the holy priesthood, a believer is his own priest before God. He does not need any mediator except our great high priest, Jesus Christ. You don't need anyone to mediate between you and God any longer. Jesus is your mediator. There can be no longer any elite priesthood with claims of special access to God or special privileges in worshiping and fellowshipping with God. And only you can have that relationship with God is by coming through that man. That is false. That is wrong. We can only serve as priests as long as we do that through Jesus Christ. In ourselves, we have no priestly authority. All authority and abilities or anything is given by Christ himself through us. But Peter's idea isn't that God has abandoned Israel or that they have no place in his redemptive plan. But that Christianity is no way inferior to Judaism. God is working and showing and revealing his complete plan from the book of Genesis all the way to Revelation. It is one story. God does the work of building by being built up. He's doing the work. He's the one that builds the church. We don't build the church. Christ builds the church. But we do the job of offering sacrifices, pleasing to him as we come to Jesus as who we are. Living stones made by him. Just be willing vessels to do whatever God has called us to do. Because you alone, that one stone, cannot build anything. You're all standing alone. One stone. What God does in us together, spiritual unity, is take all of us as stones and bring them together to build something out of us together. And that's why Satan wants to destroy. It's like a a young boy in tantrum and no self-control. Satan just wants to come and knock down what your sister just built. What God has just built, Satan just wants to bring somewhere on, just knock it down. How does he knock that down? How does he destroy the church within? By people not growing in the word of God, and they allow the malice and the deceit and the hypocrisy and the envy and the evil speaking to continue to flow from their mouths. That's what destroys God's building. Those are weak, crumbly not formed stones very well. 
In verses 6 and 8, we see that the chief cornerstone, therefore, verse 6, it is also contained in the scripture. Behold, I love this prophecy fulfilling. Look at this. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, he who believes on him, he who believes on him, back to belief, faith, will by no means be put to shame. Therefore, to you who believe, he is precious. But to those who are disobedient, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble being disobedient to the word to which they also were appointed. So here, if we are building, being built and built up into a spiritual house, there's no doubt who the chief cornerstone is, who started that work and continues that work, and that's the chief cornerstone. Even though men rejected Jesus, he has become the chief cornerstone in the work of building the church. That's what the prophesied in the Old Testament. We see that clearly here. You want to go back, you can go back and look at Isaiah 20, uh, 28, verse 16. But here we see that Jesus is cornerstone mentioned multiple times in the scripture. You can write these down for those who are taking notes. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. We first see noted in Psalm 118, verse 22. We see that he is a stumbling stone of Isaiah 8:14. We see that he's a foundational stone. We see that in Isaiah 28, 16. We see that he's a supernatural stone noted in Daniel chapter 2. And the rock that miraculously gave Israel water in the wilderness in 1 Corinthians 10, 4 was him. So when you understand that he's the chief cornerstone, yes, been rejected by those who were disobedient, as he's noted here in these verses, who are unbelieving. They've denied the fact that he is precious. But those who boo believe, do believe he's precious, do believe in the fact that who he is. And when you take a look at those who rejected that chief stoner stone and refused to build on him instead of stumble over him, as the scripture says here, instead of being their salvation, Jesus now becomes their rock of offense. See, the challenge with many people, especially the ancient uh, first century Jews, Peter was trying to speak to these Jews here today and speaking to us. But understand this. When the Jews thought they knew they were chosen by God, they were a chosen people. And God was working in and through that nation and bringing them through. What the challenge was is when God was revealing his full plan to bring in the Gentiles as well. That the cornerstone, one wall builds, starts building those two walls for the Jews and the Gentiles, starting to build this spiritual house. Many times the Jews of that time was saying, for those who were, believed that Jesus was the Messiah, those who believed in the early Jews, 
initially struggled with the fact that God would equally bring in the Gentiles. Remember, they looked down at the Gentiles. They were referred to as just dogs of no value. They didn't obviously understand as religious people how God sees all people. So what they would do is instead of fulfilling and understanding what this new covenant, this new relation that God is recruiting, bringing to Jews and Gentiles together as one and equal, many of the Jews of the first century would say, why don't you just add, okay, we now know who the Messiah is. Okay, he's Jesus Christ. Just, allow, just, just tell the Gentiles to now come in and follow everything, all of our rituals and rules and Ten Commandments and all these things and, and all the festivals and all the different uh, sacrifices. Why don't we just, just add Jesus, the Messiah, to it and the Gentiles now have to follow. Get circumcised, eat a certain way, dress a certain way. All of these legalistic things. And Jesus says, no, I've created a new covenant by the grace of God. That they are going to be equal. That Judaism doesn't over succeed, oversee my relationship with me. You're not going to have priests between you and man any longer. The curtain was ripped from top to bottom when Jesus died on the cross. That's God made a way to boldly come into the throne of God as a child of God. No more priests. No more rich religious rituals. None of these things that was pointing toward Jesus and the fulfillment was in Jesus and it's all in all. So he was trying to get across to these people into this time of mindset that says we're, it's all about Jesus and following Jesus and not the religion. And those who disbelieve, it becomes a stumbling block for them to believe. Is there anyone here today that's stumbling and not willing to believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, the Messiah? What's, what's hindering you? What's stumbling you? Oh, I've heard many, many things over the years. I used to go to church, and the church really did this, 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 and it was horrifying, it was terrible, and I could never go back to church. Are you in that category? Maybe you're a child, and your parents said they were Christians, but they lived no, nowhere even close to even a godly parents, and they were abusive and all kinds of problems. And is that the reason why you're not willing to accept Jesus? Because you think it's a stumbling block? The list goes on. But let me just reassure you, my brothers and sisters, or those who are not, but today's the day of your salvation, that Jesus does love you, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him, accepting him as your Lord and Savior. Whatever's stumbling you from taking the step of faith, take the step of faith. Your eternal life depends on it.
we see here in verse 9 and 10, not only are we in the same family, heavenly family, not only are we the stones making up that same building together, we see here in verses 9 and 10, we're also citizens of the same nation. Look at what he says here. But you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy but now have obtained mercy. In these verses, it describes the church of today. It's a description of the church in these verses and it, because it parallels to exactly what God's description of who Israel is. We see that in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6, and also in Deuteronomy 7, 8. But we see that the things that once ex exclusively belonged to Israel... A chosen generation, a chosen people with the priesthood and calling no longer, let me think of my words here before I say it here. Those things are no longer exclusive to Israel. That was the truth and that was the, God's plan in the Old Testament of bringing about the picture of what was going to be fulfilled in and through Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, as the Messiah. That as Israel was a picture of God's chosen people, God says there's a priesthood that would understand for the people to understand there is a way to live a pure life a life that is pleasing to God a life that is that is obedient to the word of God and that God had um, priesthood to help them to speak of God's truth to them for them to understand that they had a land a place that God is setting aside a promised land for them but all of that would be fulfilled in and through the New Testament of the, and in the life of Jesus Christ, because he is the high priest, no other priests are needed. He will literally be the one that speaks directly to you. Not only that, we become the church, become now the chosen generation. And it doesn't include just the Jews, but the Jew, Jews and Gentiles. The whole because Jesus came to die for the whole world, making a way for you to have life. But this generation is speaking before it was based on the law to bring about an understanding of why you needed to follow God. And it was fulfilled by grace in the fulfillment through Jesus Christ. And not only are you a chosen generation, but you're a royal priesthood. The office of royalty and priesthood were seriously separated when it came to Israel. Royalty, a king, and the priests were separated. 
But Jesus, who is our king and priest, has brought them together for his people. In the Old Testament period, God's people had a priesthood, but today God's people are a priesthood. Each individual born again believer has the privilege of coming into the presence of God directly and not through man. We see that in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 through 25. We do not come to God through any person on earth, but only through one mediator, the man Christ Jesus. We see that noted clearly in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. And because he is alive in glory and interceding for you and I at the right hand of the Father, we can minister as holy priests to those around us in our families. And he makes us not only a chosen generation, not only this royal priesthood, but his own special people. We are special because we belong to God. You can have a drawer full of photos. You can have all these special baseball cards you've collected through your whole childhood. You have these special clothes that you found, hats and gloves, and whatever it may be. Oh, you have this one car. But a lot of it has no value unless it was worn, or the photo is by, or the baseball card is of, or that per- special person, or celebrity or well-known person actually had it prior to you. See, when you take a look at these special people, God takes ordinary people like you and I. And because he works in you and I, because he comes and dwells within us, it makes us special. Not because we're special, because he is special. He has made you a special people. Once we're not a people, but now the people of God. We once were without these privileges as a non-believer. But because we are now in the child of God, in the family of God, we have all of these privileges that are given to us by God. Because we're his special people. We are not even a people before God. We had not seen the mercy of God prior to Christ. But because we have now a relationship with Christ, we now understand and obtain mercy. A special privilege. In our culture, with its Christian foundations that we talk about, we really don't understand the great sense of privilege and relief that came as Gentiles understood it. Can you imagine? As the Gentile, they're watching and seeing what God's doing through these people, these Jewish people, this nation of Israel. 
and watching from a distance and the power of God working through them. And they're being told their whole life that they're nothing, that they're rejected, there's no value, you're going to amount to nothing, you're, you're, you're worthless. All these things are playing in and all these Gentiles because they weren't part of the nation of Israel. And then Jesus comes. God's plan. And he says, because Jesus came and died on the cross for the whole world, everyone, including you Gentiles, are equal in the eyes of God and in his family. Imagine feeling rejected your whole life and now being accepted. Imagine you had no identity and now you belong to a nation, God's nation. Before you didn't know how life was going to play out and now you know exactly how your life is playing out for eternity. You may have come from a family that was broken and don't even know who your parents are, but now you know who your Heavenly Father is and all your brothers and sisters that are part of the family. Can you imagine what the Gentiles felt and thought when they came as the disciples, the apostles went out and said, Jesus loves you and he died for you on the cross and he will accept you into the family. Can you imagine the feeling across that Gentile mind to make them also a special people? You know, most people don't understand in our unsaved condition, we were not God's people. They think everyone's going to heaven. And what they understand, what the scripture says, they are not going to as an unsaved person because they belong to Satan in the world. We see that clearly noted in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and through 3 and 11 through 19. Now that we have trusted Christ and been born again, we are part of God's people because he purchased us with the blood of his own son. We see that clearly noted in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. High privileges as a child of God. High privileges is not something we grow proud in. We don't go become spiritually proud because of it. We should be very humbled the fact that we can be a child of God and receive all these privileges. We don't be grow proud, but so that we can proclaim the praises of him we see at the very end of these verses. We're to receive these privileges as special people so that it was a praise moment to him. To praise him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. We have this incredible thing because we belong to one family of God. And we share the same divine nature now. And we're all living stones as part of this one building and priests serving in one temple. That's you. That's you and me as believers. What a special privilege. It is Jesus Christ who is the source and the center of our spiritual unity. And as we come together and we fellowship together and worship together and serve together, we're to be in the spiritual unity. Why? Because we're one family. 
We're doing it together. And our center, our force, our source of being able to do that is on Jesus Christ. As soon as one of us takes our eyes off of Jesus, you're going to cause disunity. That's why we must fight the good fight of staying focused on our walk with Jesus Christ. For the sake of everyone else, if we center our attention and affection on him, we will walk and work together. That's what Peter's saying. If you keep your eyes on Jesus, you and I are going to make it through these troubling times. And regardless if you're in these five providences, we're all one, one family, all in spiritual unity. Keep focused. And, he's, and the Spirit of God is saying that to us today. We will walk together. We will work together. If we focus on ourselves, we will cause division. If you focus on yourselves, you're going to cause division. We must present to the world a united demonstration of what God's grace and mercy looks like in the church body. Amen? We must. When there's a love and a unity, a spiritual unity within the body, it will become such a bright light into a community and the people that you are interacting, they're going to say, I've never heard of a church like that before. I've never seen love demonstrated like that before. We must be that. To reach the fallen world in this community that we live, that God has planted you in, the only way we're going to reach that community is be in unity, in spiritual unity, and go out and do the good work that God's called you to do. You've been equipped. I Hopefully you've been encouraged. I hope the Lord, the Spirit of God has changed you in some form or way that you have now taken a next step deeper in your relationship with Christ. Now go out and be about your Father's business. Go out and do the good works that He's called you to do for his, in His name. Amen?